Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Mike Mel back here, uh, October 3rd. It's been a little while since I uh, released the um, a podcast episode. Uh, I was in uh, Italy for uh, almost two weeks um, with my wife in uh, yeah, northern Italy. Um, we went to the wine country up there. Uh, it's called Piedmont, for those of you who may not be aware of Italy. Uh, Tuscany is the big one, but Piedmont's, uh, I think, better. Uh, it's just less well-known, but uh, along the spectrum of uh, wines, uh, I think uh, a lot better, a lot more uh, a lot more options and all that. Um, but, you know, on vacation, I'm not one to go to a beach and sit. Um, I can't sit there, read a book. Uh, I can't really just sit there period I gotta be kind of moving around talking to people um you know doing some sort of physical activity whatever um and this trip was you know no different and uh up in Piedmont you know why I let it off with wines because uh we we've done wine tours before, but it's typically been with like a, a, a guide or a driver or something like that. Not someone who necessarily knows wine very well or makes wine, but we went around with a wine maker and uh, yeah, a young guy, uh, a little older than me, um, but you know, 35 years old, you know, so, you know, pretty young in the wine game. Um, and yeah, just, just picking his brain on on things because wine seems to be a um, seems to be a job uh, kind of like the markets where it, it's a very complex system. A lot of things are out of your control. Um, a lot of things can go right, go wrong, and not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, matter. You know what. It doesn't really matter what you do a lot of the time, you know, a lot of the things are, you know, like the weather or just where you have your land and, you know, how much sun you get that year and the, you know, just overall temperature and just, just crazy things, you know, uh, bugs and stuff. Um, <clears throat> all these things uh, go into the wine and obviously there's, you know, better vintages than others, you know, why some years are better than others. Uh, I don't know, have all the answers, but it seems to be a good combination of you know, land, weather, you know, sun, uh, humidity, all this stuff. Um, you know, the day gets harvested, all those things. So, um, you know, uh, I started asking the guy, you know, just, just general, um, what, what percentage of good wine, I say what percentage of the whole process is because is, is the winemakers doing, you know? So if you put out a good wine, a good year, and um, you know, in any any one year, it doesn't really matter. How much of that can we attribute to your skill, and how much can we attribute it to you know just the weather, or just things out of your control? And you know, ask the guy who was taking us around. We went to a few other other um, uh, wineries that who um, you know, he has friends with, and you know, he asked those guys too because they're all fairly young as well. You know, I'd say thirties as well. And, um, the range I got was 75 to 90% of the process is out of our hands. So it's totally up to weather, 
location, soil, all things like that. Um, and they said it's very difficult to make a lot of wine very good unless you have really, really, really good land, which, um, you know, a lot of them don't. They might have a little bit of good land, but they don't have a lot of land. And they said one guy who was like universally agreed, agreed upon in the area um, as having the best wine and he... Uh, he can also sell, he can also make a lot of it, but make a lot of it very good. Uh, a lot of guys can make a little bit of wine very good, but not a lot of very good. And uh, that guy's name is Bruno Jacosa. I think he died, but uh, the winery's still operating. And uh, yeah, these, and I asked, so, so why? Why? How come he gets to make so much wine and make it good? So, well, he had the, uh, the quote-unquote stupid idea years ago when he was young. Um, to take his horse across town, uh, you know, and Piedmont's pretty big, um, and find, you know, and buy a specific piece of land. Uh, I don't know the process and, um, you know, what his process was and why he selected this part of land or whatever. I don't know. Um, uh, maybe he got lucky. Maybe he's just really good. Maybe he scattered it out for a long time. Who the hell knows? I don't know. But for whatever reason, uh, he picked that piece of land and that land turned out to be really, really good. And that allowed him to uh, get more return out of, that, uh, out of that piece of land, making good wine, um, without sacrificing the quality, which a lot of guys, a lot of wineries have to do. Um, if, they, if they're optimizing to make money, then, you know, they start, uh, you know, pulling the grapes early and, you know, getting the process, you know, getting it, getting it into the bottles really fast, adding the sulfite, whatever they got to do to kind of, you know, whatever wizardry they have to do to, to make the wine, um, uh, drinkable, uh, and just keep pumping it out. And that's what I think a lot of people who have ever had wine are drinking that crap, high process stuff. Um, you know, very low grade, low quality, but because they never really had a good wine, because if they if you live in America, the wine, uh, sorry, good wine, is a lot of money because it's being shipped from somewhere else. It's not being shipped from the North Fork in uh, Long Island. You know, um, you know there are some good wines in California, but you know uh, there are there's you know a lot of good land uh, outside of California. You know, Tuscan, uh, sorry, Italy and France and all that. So, um, uh, I know where I was going, uh, with that, sorry, uh, so, so I think a lot of people are, um, you know, they don't know what good and bad is, all they know is their $13, uh, Ponciano or something like that, um, and they don't, they don't understand that that might be a crappy bottle, even though it's from Italy, quote unquote, or something like that, no, um, so it's good to go, it was good to go around and, and learn, from these, um, from these young wine guys, because they're, you know, they're still honest, and, um, you know, um, I think they, you know, they're actually doing it, they're actually walking the walk, they're not learning about it from someone else, they're actually touching, you know, the vines, and digging the dirt, and planting, and all all these things, so they get to see, and, um, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, most of the process, sorry, most of the product, um, is not up to them, 
And I said, wow, so when we have, when you serve us a good wine, wow, we shouldn't even be thanking you because of how little you did. And he said, yeah. And he said, the one guy, um, one guy said uh, that um, after you take the, after you cut the grape, you can only make it worse. Um, It's your job as the winemaker not to screw it up, really. That's pretty much your job. Um, And uh, I, you know, of course I have, you know, not just wanting to learn about wine, but I, but I do believe that there are principles that can be tr- that transcend one industry, one walk of life to another. And in my case, it's the markets. You know, um, when this particular vintage sucks, when this year sucks, how much of that was due to you, and how much of that is due to just the weather? You know, the markets in general. Just nothing good out there. Nothing we could do. Um, now, I'm not a person that's optimizing for low quality, um, you know, high fee, you know, high volume thing. I'm not trying to be some asset gatherer that just puts out a crappy product and I charge my, you know, $12 a bottle and I try to get as many people to buy it in the world as I can. That's, that's not what I'm doing. There are people that do that, um, obviously. Since there's you know more funds than stocks and, and investable markets out there, but um, you know I try to keep it very very quality and try to keep it as low cost as I can, uh, everything within reason, and not trying to serve everybody. You know I try to think of myself as a local you know small operation, um, someone that you know locals know, someone that they know um, you know when they go in there they're going to get a good piece of food, uh, or a good bottle of wine, or, you know, a good, a good product, and, um, that's another thing, too, about the food there in Italy, too, is that, say, the local, the local restaurants, I mean, a local restaurant that gets, I don't know how much business per year, per day, um, very, you know, a lot less than, I'd say, probably your average, you know, decent place in New York City, um, but the food there is just so much better. It's it's not even close. And I, again, this is too, another one of my motives to ask, like, how come this is? Obviously, there's good chefs here. Obviously, there's good, you know, there's good people who care about what they do. How come the food is just, on average, you know, in New York City, the food is amazing. But, but it's not close to some local place in Piedmont, Italy, in the middle of nowhere, on uh, some little village. Like how you know, or it's it's just um, you know probably a a mom, a grandma, and an aunt or daughter in there cooking, um, and you know how come it's just so much better there? And again, it's the, it's the ingredients, it's the it's the things that we can't reproduce here. We can't reproduce a especially if our goal is to make money. Um, we can't reproduce really high quality ingredients, really high quality foods, you know, like great, you know, tomatoes and like this and that. No, we want to get them and we want to get them from Mexico. We want to get them from uh, South America and we're going to get the cheapest that we can. And then we're going to mark them up and then we're going to flavor it with all this other flavors and sauces and this and that and mask over the crappy ingredients with our wizardry. And some guys do that really well, um, you know, in, in food and stuff. I think it's easier there, um, 
but it's not it's not as easy in wine and it's not as easy in um uh especially the markets you just can't you just can't operate this wizardry and um and squeeze something out of nothing um i know it doesn't stop people from trying but uh that's uh that's just what i seem to believe i think it's just it's just too much of a complicated system um other than food or something like that um so uh so yeah i mean i think you know when investors see a manager or see a specific you know investment strategy or asset class whatever you want to call it have a really poor stretch um or just you know it can be making money but it's not making as much money as something else um you know one you need to like you need to ask some deeper questions um like, are are you trying to make more money or, or do you even care about keeping pace with the absolute return of of this you know maybe not maybe not maybe they're like no nah, we we you know we want to keep our you know you know risk adjusted you know um in line or better than it but uh you know we don't care as, about making as much money you know for whatever reason um there's you know i think you need to know about who you're dealing with and what what the manager's uh goal is uh also because um you start comparing you know now you compare like the passive versus the active and like the buy and hold so much better than everything else uh, yeah lately maybe lately maybe in in the absolute sense maybe not risk adjusted you know I mean, people don't even look into that all right they're like oh yeah maybe for money okay we're that's it uh, uh, oh and i can pay no fees okay i'm gonna go to that buy um <laughs> okay um well that's it's all very temporary. So, you know, trying to get, trying to get to that point is that there's no, there's no perpetual facts here. This is not physics. Um, markets go up and down. Same was in wine. You know, there's not like, oh, Italy is the best place to make wine always and forever. Well, that's another thing too that the winemakers will say. It's like if you don't believe in climate change, you are out of your goddamn mind, because we see it now. We see that we our generation of, of making wine now, we're just, we're just luckier because the, 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 um, the weather our parents had and grandparents all the way back had, uh, was just not as good. Now you can, you can make better wine now because the weather's better for the, for, for wine. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that the guys back in the day were crappy winemakers. They, they probably just didn't get the opportunity to make good wine or make better wine. Um, but, but let's say climate change is a thing and it is getting warmer and let's say it warms up for the next thousand years or whatever more. Um, there might be other areas in the world that become better wine regions because it becomes more optimal in the weather patterns. And that's another thing the guy, one of the winemakers said is that he believes that, um, I, I believe it was, um, Champagne um, is going to be uh, is going to move like the good champagne regions are going to move from France up into the UK because France getting too hot for that specific grape. Um, you know, so things are always changing, and um, and I feel that uh, you know um, th- th- it was just a good lesson, uh, good things I learned uh, on that trip from guys who are actually 
doing, I think, a similar job uh, to me. They're just doing it with wine because um, so much is out of their hands. And that, that was what I was trying to get to. You know, they, it took them a couple of days to kind of answer, you know, um, directly. And, um, you know, they didn't really know. And, but I said, I want a number. Give me a number. You know, how much? How much is up to you? And how much is up to things out of your control? And most of it, that was the, you know, I think the point I was trying to get to is like, all right, most of it's out of your hands. You just have to not do anything stupid. And I feel like that's our job as investor, um, you know, investors and managers. Like, hey, if there's nothing there, that sucks. But all right, let's not do anything stupid to compound this and really uh, hamstring ourselves when the good weather does come along. Um, we're ready to rock. Um, we're going to be there. We got our, you know, we got our wits about us. We're not going to be sluggish. We're not going to be pissed off and, you know, miss, miss a trade, miss an opportunity. No, we're going to be, Hey, this sucks right now, but let's just, you know, hang tough. And, uh, you know, um, the, the tide, the weather will turn, um, cause it always does. We just have to, you know, just kind of sit through the lulls and, um, uh, yeah. And I feel like, you know, a similar thing is always occurring in the markets, depending on where you are in the world, uh, you know, i.e. What, what kind of grapes you're growing and what, where, where your location is. Like the weather in Italy this year could be a lot better than France or it could be a lot better than Argentina or whatever. You know, the weather's different in other regions and other regions in different years produce better wines. Um, right now, or say lately, um, the weather has been crappy for diversified trend following. It's been great in stocks only trend following. It's been great in buy and hold stocks. Um, it's been great in counter trend uh, diversified stuff. You know, because you got commodities doing crappy and uh, you know bonds too have gone nowhere. Metals, all, all these things um, have done nothing for a long time. And if trend following doesn't work, then counter trend will probably work. Um, so we're just going through, now we're just in that period of, you know, some things are working, some things aren't, which is, this is the whole point, I think, of, uh, you know, diversification. To, to the extent on which you diversify and what the correct percentages are, you can always look at a back test and do some, you know, simple, simple tests and see, oh, what would have been the best mix. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be the best mix going forward. I, I don't know. But I think the point is to like be diversified, you know, somewhat, uh, be somewhat reasonable, you know. I think as um, a lot of a lot of uh, stories have coming out, or not stories, but um, you know, articles maybe recently, um, and just uh, just a part of the uh, you know the trend followers pitch is oh to include us five ten percent please. It's like okay, yeah, um, it, it'll have some effect. Um, it may not be the optimal effect, but okay, it'll have some effect. Um, but I can tell you if, you know, you diversify yourself into, you know, a diet of crap food and mix in five or 10% vegetables, uh, not, probably not going to do anything. You're probably still going to get sick. Probably still going to be a fat mess. Um, and you're probably going to die sooner too. Um, unless you get lucky somehow, which you're probably not. Um, but I think, you know, the most of it, I think that's like, you know, you, you want to be diversified to, to an amount that's actually meaningful 
um, on a rolling general basis. We're not trying to like time things perfectly all the time and try to get the best, you know, oh, do you think now's the time to go majority in on this or you think we should pull it out? And, you know, then you start to like, you know, try to time things and, you know, you're not going to do it consistently enough to, to, I think, make a difference or sorry, to, uh, to really help yourself. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's only going to be to your detriment. So, um, you know, like imagine if these guys had wineries and, oh, I got one in Piedmont, I got one in, uh, uh, Spain, one in Germany, one in France, Napa, this, that, like, wow, great. Because now if you can operate every winery, um, to perfection and to the ideal, that's beautiful. Um, and you're not beholden to the weather or the circumstances in one area, um, anymore. Now you got a bunch of different stuff, and you're all over the place. And even though they may all suck at once, they may all be great at once. They may all take turns and be mixed. Like, great. You know, who knows? Um, but the point is that you just, you, you can't know what's actually going to happen beforehand, but you know that, yeah, you know, this kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, all right, these don't have anything to do with one another. And I know sometimes they can, they can correlate, and it could be a total fluke, but hey, that's fine. Um, I'm cool with that. Um, um, and I think that's what we try to do as, um, you know, trend following investors too. Um, you know, we'll diversify as much as we can and, you know, we'll have the stocks and bonds and currencies, commodities in there. And, you know, we'll, we'll be diversified, you know, up and down the line within each individual sector. But we know sometimes, um, even if it's not in the data, I think, we know, or at least I know, that, yeah, you know what? Something could happen where all these things do the exact same thing and diversification kind of goes out the window. Um, and they may all whipsaw at once. But you know what? They may all trend at once, too. And, you know, just got to know that ahead of time that, like, this could happen. And even if something is not on the data, uh, in the back test, um, it's it's possible. And just got to be mentally ready for that. And um, I feel like a lot of people aren't. And they get surprised or pissed off or, you know, they're blindsided by, oh, my God, this, you know, how has this happened? So, well, you know, we only really have like a couple hundred years worth of real data. You know, that's, that's not a lot. <laughs> you know, the earth and people have been around or the people have been around for a million years, you know. Um, so, you know, I wish we had a million years worth of market data. That'd be great. You know, because then we could see, oh, well, yeah, all right, trend following doesn't always win like it has since the 70s. Like, you know, no, 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 no. It, it can go through a, a stretch of, you know, 10 plus years where it does nothing. And it can go through a stretch of 10 plus years where it's the best thing ever. Um, you know, it, it could change. We don't have enough data yet to, um, to understand all this stuff. Um, that's what I like to learn about, you know... Um, like the winemakers and, um, you know, and farming and stuff like that, because they, they generally keep a lot more data, um, than, uh, than we have, than we have, uh, so far in the markets. We'll get there, but, uh, obviously wine, winemaking has been around a long, long time. And, uh, I feel like it has a lot of similarities to, to playing the markets. Um, a lot of things out of your control, a lot of volatility, um, and things like that, that, uh, I think we can we can take take some pages from their book, and um, 
and you know improve our our mental approach to this game, improve our um, uh, I think perspective on things. And um, and yeah, just an FYI, the 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 winery we went to, we had a tour with. Um, it's been in their family since the 1700s. Okay, so you know longer. I'm not sure what I think maybe in the 1790s. So so a little bit uh, a little bit younger than the, uh, the United States has been around, but you know I'm sure it's not the oldest one in the area. That was just the one we went to. Um, so um, these people have a lot of experience, a lot of passed down knowledge, uh, a lot of wisdom. They've seen a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I think if you're in the markets and you're playing and you're an investor. Or trying to be a trader, I think um, learning from winemakers uh, and farmers in general are great people to learn from. Um, and yeah, uh, I'd highly recommend um, going up, going up north, northern Italy to the Piedmont region, and um, and uh, taking a vacation up there and doing some tours and asking a lot of questions. Uh, all right, that's all I got for today. Uh, I will get you guys next time. Okay.